0: This is Geek Gab with your host, John, Brian, and me, Daddy Warpig. We are back. Geek Gab for Sunday, January 15th, 2017. Welcome, folks, to everyone listening, and welcome to all of the many, many millions and billions of people, no doubt, hanging out in the chat right now. Today, and there's a lot of a lot of territory we can cover today, but the uh, the name of the show, the name of this episode, is "Travelers Telling Tales and Watchdogs," and we are going to talk about and hold on to your seats here for the shock of all shocks: the network, the Netflix TV series "Travelers," the recently released Ubisoft video game "Watch Dogs 2." And also, a question by Scholar at Arms over on Twitter about telling tales, telling stories in fiction versus video games. So, that's what's on deck for today. But before we get there, we want to stop and let our co hosts get a word in edgewise. How are we doing today, guys?
1: I'm doing great. Uh, it's been a long week, uh, long two weeks. Sorry for sitting out last week, y'all. I, I listened to the episode. It was a great episode. You carried on just fine without me. It was. Uh, it's the NFL playoffs, as those of you know. My team is the Green Bay Packers. We're doing well. We're going to play the Dallas Cowboys today. The number one seed Cowboys, so that's going to be an uphill battle. Uh, and puppy time has pretty much eaten up all my gaming time. So it I, the, but the only thing I've been able to do here and there is is catching up with uh D&D 5th edition. Um just read through the Dungeon Master's Guide. You might have heard me belly ache about it on Facebook or Twitter. Like uh,
0: the first 100 pages said absolutely nothing worthwhile.
1: Yeah, uh maybe it's a great introduction for someone who's new to role playing and being the dungeon master, but uh it was definitely lighter on rules in the first 100 pages you know, what? Uh, which made it pretty boring for me because given that, you know, the, the conventional wisdom is that fifth edition sort of goes back to the old school style of game or, or you know, they were influenced by the old school uh, revival that uh, I was expecting more of the if you want to run this type of game, here's a great here's a set of rules that you can use, you know, to, to do that sort of game. Um, like, here's how to do a hex crawl. like You know, a, a wilderness exploration. Here's how to do it. And it turns out that all that stuff is actually in there. I, in the end, it's a really good book. It just happens after the first 150 pages or so.
0: What, what do they spend the first 150 pages on?
1: Uh, there's some little rules here and there, but it's a lot of, you know, okay, here's your first RPG. Here, Here's world building. Here's, you know, gods and goddesses, that sort of thing. All sorts of stuff that um contrary to what y'all were talking about last week, I don't think is very important uh to, to actually running the game. You know, my... What is a
2: role playing game? Did you ever play Cowboys and Indians as a kid?
1: <laughs> that one's in the players' handbook.
2: <laughs> it was?
1: Something like that. Well not that wow. sp- not that actual line.
2: <laughs> Only oh, are going old school. Anyway, continue please.
1: Mm, oh no, no it it, it definitely picked up pretty much right after I took a break and went back to the, to the book. Uh, the second half of the book is chock full of great things. Like if you like to run this, you like to run this type of game. Here's a way that we recommend you do like wilderness exploration. And they go through the whole thing. Like, you know, how much time it takes to travel, uh, and encounters and things here you should get a hex map you should write the map and here you should make a key with this is what happens when they enter these regions that sort of thing uh there's a lot more help that way uh towards the back of the book uh, and then of course there's like a, a probably a fifth of the book is just magic items and stuff which someone coming from second and third edition it's way cut down from previous editions it's like a really nice it small list of magic items it isn't like if it's a spell in, in third edition it was like if there's a spell in the player's handbook there would be two or three re- magical items that were just sort of permanent uses of that spell you know what right I mean? yeah uh, definitely got crunchy in the second half of the book and, and well worth the read I think I, I think it's going to help me convert my game to uh, from third edition to fifth edition which was sort of I wanted to see if I could do that as a goal that's a
0: good goal do you, do you think that's going to help the play of the game moving from third to fifth? Uh,
1: yes. I, I believe that by the, the two main things it's going to do is uh, cut the number of rules associated with a character sheet. Uh, the skill checks are very simple in this one. Um, for the most part, everybody has to keep like one or two bonuses in mind, right? Either I roll this because I'm unskilled or I roll this because I am skilled. Um, and that bonus doesn't you know changes with level. So it doesn't change in between sessions except for in between sessions. Uh, it, and there's no feats or anything like that. Sort of all the cool stuff that classes do are already built into the class. The other thing is simplified combat rules. I don't do much grid stuff. I don't do man, much miniature stuff, but at the same time, th- there's so many like different options for what you want to do in combat in three point five that uh, I think sometimes that bogs down the game, especially with uh, you know, the rules lawyer at the table who's always ha- being helpful in, like telling people things that they can do. And it's just like, you're just dragging the game down. <laughs> not, not, sorry, dragging it out, not dragging it down. He only, he only drags it down when he just happens to memorize the perfect set of spells for that day and, and shuts down all encounters. That's why I uh... important, folks.
0: It is one of the uh, conundrums when you're playing and or designing a game that um, the more choices the players have in combat, the longer combat takes. Even a very streamlined, well-designed game, if players have a lot of options, it will slow combat down a lot because they will spend a lot of time trying to figure out which is the optimal option to take right now and unlike you know video games there's no time pressure unless the game master chooses to impose one and most players find that irritating but there's no time pressure typically in in tabletop role-playing games so players can take as long as they want and frequently just you know stop doing combat for upwards of half an hour arguing about or discussing about what would be the best particular maneuver for this one character to do this one action in this one round of combat.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on, on the head there. It it just, it drags it down. I want to go back. I, I took a moment to um, bring up the actual book itself. I only have it on, on PDF. I don't have the copy in, in front of me right now. Uh, Just to give you an idea of of where you need to start in the DMG. Like, if you're an experienced uh, gamer or game master and and you want to pick up the DMG and run 5th edition, check this out. Chapter 1 is the first 40 pages, building your own world. Skip it. Chapter 2, I shit you not, the next 25 pages are about the multiverse. Um, and, And don't get me wrong, back in the 90s, I owned almost every Planescape supplement. I absolutely love this stuff. This is like a waste of 25 pages. Skip it. Then they do 15 pages on creating adventures. Uh, another 10 pages on NPCs. And then they finally, like around page 100, we're 100 pages in. Now they start talking about the environments like dungeons and wilderness and stuff like that. And then they do treasure and and other stuff like that. And so by the time, you know, the, the first 100 pages are mostly garbage. And then the the next uh, 75 pages are starting to get into good stuff. And then they go really interesting in part three, where they start, quote-unquote, running the game.
2: So it sounds like it's really front-loaded.
1: Yeah, I think it is. And it's front-loaded for for newish people. Um, But I... In my experience, that's what people get hung up on, like, I want to create my own world with all these things, and I want to draw the map and everything. And in my experience, that's you spend a lot of time drawing a bunch of stuff that doesn't matter, uh, because what matters is sort of that that interaction between you and the players right at the table.
0: And and that was the advice I passed along last week, which is apparently by Ray Winiger in his Dungeon Craft column, is you only create stuff one step ahead of the players. You don't have to create everything in the world right from the get-go uh, with a couple of exceptions. Uh, like a list of gods for clerics, that's fine. If you're gonna have a cleric, you, you probably need that. But you don't have to create an entire uh, source book. You don't have to you know make your own unique campaign box set in order to get a dungeon crawling game off the ground. It just it's a waste of, uh, it's a waste of time. it's a waste of work and, and, uh, and energy for most people.
2: Yeah, anecdote about that. So, a while ago, uh, one of my buddies who's, who's a great GM, don't get me wrong, but he pulled out a world building role playing game where the game is for each player to basically design his own race. Um, he kind of spiced it up with some traveler tech levels where you could level up the whole race. So, it's kind of like SimCity meets D&D. So,. We went through the entire history of each of our races and went like from the dawn of that race, and you could decide whether you know, they were created by a God or evolved from natural processes.
0: Yeah. That's all- score, the role-playing game.
2: Yeah, there you go. And we got all the way up to or like my race um, had space travel and stuff. And then we switched it to the world of darkness system to sort of play in this is like, okay, that's basically, you know, the, the creation narrative of this world is what you guys made and now we're going to play in it. And we ended up hardly using anything from the world building exercise that we spent like two weeks on.
0: (laughs) See if I could, uh, the thing is I firmly believe in that advice to only build the, the, as much of the game world as you need to, to one step ahead of the players. Um, That's great advice. It's absolutely advice that gay bastards should follow. But the last D&D campaign I ran, I absolutely did not do that. I had to go in entirely the opposite direction to where I had the big multiverse figured out, where I had uh, the entire history of this continent figured out and what was going on and and where this one specific hub city came from and what it was doing. And that was absolutely crazy crucial during the play of the game for me as a game master, the way I run things absolutely need that. So the other piece of advice or the first piece of advice I would give every single game master ever is to know yourself and know your style. And that's going to take time. If you're just starting out and know your players and what they kind of want and will find enjoyable. Those two things will stand you in better stead the 99% of the game mastering advice you find out there. You just know yourself, know how you tend to game master and what will help you run your game best and know what your players will like. Everything else is just fine tuning those two uh, those two pieces of information.
1: Here, here, Wisdom. Wisdom dropped. Brian, how about you? How's your week?
2: Well, uh, I've been... And under the weather lately, so I, I've mainly just been hanging out on social media.
0: Um, anything more exciting we want, we want to discuss on the show? No?
2: Okay. Well, one thing <laughs> is um, next week on Inauguration Day, uh, I mean, the Superversive crew are going to be holding the launch party, the official launch for Forbidden Thoughts. So it's going to be a pretty big, uh, Google Hangouts live streaming marathon. Some uh, pretty big names tentatively.
0: I'm was- tentatively scheduled to come on that as well. So.
2: Oh, sorry. Did I let a cat out of the bag you wanted to announce?
0: No, not. I'm yeah. just mentioning that I wasn't going to announce that at all. i just, but now that you did, I'm just kind of casually mentioning that. I'm supposed to come on there as well. Jason, uh, Jason Randy, cause I usually come on the superversive streamcast, right. um, and so I guess he just decided to invite me to come on um, the lunch party for Dangerous Thoughts or what? Oh, we, love
2: you. We, we love you there. <laughs> you're, you're very big there, so I, I'm not surprised.
1: I said oh. he's big everywhere.
2: <laughs> oh, I see what you did there. <laughs>
0: I am, in point of fact, big in Japan. All right. Nice. Big in Japan tonight. Big in Japan the Eastern Sea is so blue. Does nobody know this song? Man, I'm so old. Anyways, seriously, neither of you guys know what song that is?
1: It went right over my head.
0: Uh, there's a group called Alphaville.
1: Oh. Alphaville
0: did a song <laughs> called Big in Japan. Yes. I did not know that was, uh, that was such a, an obscure piece of musical trivia now. Um, I
2: know the band. I'm just not familiar <laughs> with that song. So, yeah, you know
0: the band because they have like one song people play, like yeah. almost twenty four seven. That's a great big 1980 song. But that particular song was also a bigger hit for them. But uh, apparently, it has it has been lost to the ages. That is so 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 sad. Let's move on. Um, I'm trying to, now we have, uh, we've used up about half the show already. So I'm trying to think how we can, uh, how we can crunch this down. Do we, we don't have all that much time left. Do we want to just talk about storytelling next week or the week after that? Because you've got a, we've got an author coming on next week.
2: That, yeah, that might be a good idea if we could just kind of table that, get another expert opinion on that.
0: Because that's, that's a big topic. I mean, that topic we yeah. could easily spend 15 minutes on and just blow the whole rest of the show or tack on another 20 minutes at the end or whatever. So let's, let, we'll, put that, we'll push that off to, to one of the next times. Um, so let's do, uh, let's do watchdogs real quick. Um, and I'm assuming because of puppy-related time commitments – and sickness-related time commitments, and the fact that I didn't talk about this until yesterday. Um, neither of you have played Watchdogs two, am I right?
1: Correct. That's right. Puppy-related gladness.
0: Our uh, <laughs> versus puppy-related sadness. Uh, have I? Did either of you played Watchdogs one?
2: Negative. Parts of it, like a little of it at a friend's house.
0: Okay. So let me let me. Say this Watch Dogs is a Grand Theft Auto clone, or what they call an open world driving slash race, uh, racing slash shooting game hybrid. Uh, We have a big section of San Francisco. Um, and you know, you create it is not Chicago. That's Watch Dogs One is Chicago. Okay, Watch Dogs Two is San Francisco.
2: I thought you were describing one, my fault.
0: Um, and then you, your character is, it's not, it's, he's a hacker, but he's neither a Hollywood hacker nor a real world hacker. And in fact, he's not much like most video game hackers that I have ever played. And I'm thinking here of like Deus Ex, Human Revolution, or uh, the hacking minigames from Bioshock 1 and 2. There's very little hacking minigames. There's only one of them, and it only shows up at specific times. And most of the rest of the time, hacking is just a matter of clicking the right button at the right time, and you just automatically do something. You don't have to play a minigame every time you hack. Um, and your hacker is a member of a hacking collective called DedSec, and there is a corporation who has made a city... Infrastructure OS, one operating system that runs an entire city, and cities all across the country are adopting this, and they're using their access to uh, traffic cameras and security cameras and people's phones and everything else in this city. They're using that access to leech data from the population and then using that data for various nefarious means, and this offends you as a hacker, and it offends your hacking collective, and so as a collective, you go to war with this super powerful corporation to try and expose all their deep, dark secrets and bring them down, and also bring the other groups who are in society or are working with them down. You can kind of think of it as a shadow run, a low-tech shadow run campaign. Because gameplay typically revolves around you as a player breaking into various uh, locations, either sneakily or loudly, or as is my case, start off trying to sneak, but inevitably go loud later stealing data or uploading viruses or committing other acts of sabotage and then trying to get the heck out before the security guards who shoot to kill and or the cops. Uh, And there's also gangs you can tick off. Sometimes you have to break into gang areas before they catch up with you and then you're driving away real fast trying to get away. So... That's the setting of Watch Dogs 2. The gameplay is familiar to anyone who's played either Grand Theft Auto or uh, Saints Row or any of those other open-world driving games. The Mafia series. I mean, I I don't know how many of these we can name. There's tons of them. Crackdown. um, And on and on and on. You have cars, you can drive around. You have guns, you get into gunfights. If you... uh, do bad crimes, the cops will chase you or the gangs will chase you or these security guards will chase you, so on and so forth. And you can use your superb hacking abilities, your access to the mainframe of the city to do cool things when people are chasing you or when you're breaking in, like setting up a trap on a gas main so that when the cops drive through it, it blows up, makes a big crater in the roll and, you know, blows up the cop car or the gang car or whatever. So that's the gameplay. And it has politics, and its politics are incoherently libertarianish, left wingish. Uh, corporations are evil, and the government is also corrupt. And you're pretty much the only good people left fighting against the evil corporations, the evil gangs, and the evil government. Nobody in the game escapes being targeted. They even have, for one small series of adventures, a Scientology cult stand-in that you have to break into and, uh, you know, discover that their big secret tablets supposedly from Sumeria are actually, and this is a little bit of a spoiler, are actually fake. They're plaster. They're not ancient rocks, that it were chiseled at the dawn of time, revealing deep secrets that the new dawn has brought forward and discovered to uplift society. That's not true, surprisingly enough. And then you also have to rescue somebody they've kidnapped. It's 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 a take on Scientology and a uh, takedown of Scientology. I haven't finished the main Quest line yet because I spent all of my time running around the board searching for uh, research points, which is your experience, you level up your technological abilities you get, your ability to hack into the city infrastructure, your ability to hack into vehicles, um, all of things like that. Yeah, you can hack into cars as they're driving along the road and make them, you know, steer left or right. It's really helpful when you're driving fast down the freeway and you need to clear your lane of traffic. You just hack all the cars in front of you and they suddenly steer out of your way. Um, you use research points and specific innovations you can discover in the open world to... Upgrade them so you can get more XP by ignoring completely ignoring all the side quests and all the main quests and drive around the board picking up these research points. You can also pick up new vehicles, you can also pick up paint jobs for your guns and your vehicles and your drones, and you can also uh, steal money. And so, my playthrough during the first half turned into a weird retelling of the second death wish movie where i drove around the map looking for gangs and either sneaking in and stealing their drug money or sneaking in and getting caught and killing them all and stealing their drug money and so uh i was a masked vigilante of the more violent sort maybe the batman versus superman batman uh without a costume I enjoyed the game because I enjoyed that open-world part. I enjoyed running around and getting all that stuff and exploring the map. If messing around in the open-world is not something you enjoy, you probably won't enjoy the game. I uh, the, All of the missions tend to blur together after a while because they're all the exact same thing pretty much. Whereas Grand Theft Auto 5 had a great variety of missions. In this mission, for example, you're flying a huge military helicopter and picking up a submarine and taking the submarine out into the ocean and dropping it and then stealing something from the bottom floor of the ocean. This is Grand Theft Auto I'm describing, not watchdogs. And then getting back in the helicopter and flying away while you're shooting at the private military contractor who's chasing after you in boats and in helicopters and you're trying to blow them out of the sky before they blow you out of the sky. That is just one mission in Grand Theft Auto V and it's not like any other mission in Grand Theft Auto V. Unlike Grand Theft Auto, the Watch Dogs 2 missions are very samey. However, In the first Watch Dogs, they had several missions that were stealth missions that were auto-fail. That is, if you were spotted one time by the guys there, you automatically failed the entire mission. You had to start over from the beginning. They have apparently taken that out. So that's the only reason I bought Watch Dogs 2 is because they did take that out. Because otherwise, as my description of my play style may have indicated... I am not capable of going through an entire mission stealthily, sooner or later things get loud and I go rock and roll. Now, that's not quite true, I actually got through several missions stealthily, but typically that's an accident, I usually have to go loud. So I've enjoyed Rock Dogs 2 quite a lot, despite the politics, and despite the somewhat sady gameplay in much of the game. Um, they have all the same elements in missions that they try to use in different ways, but they're too similar to really provide it as much variety as the number of missions would allow for. Uh, that's my review of Watch Dogs 2. It's a fun game for me. If you enjoy those things and you also don't find the drawbacks to be that big of drawbacks, you'll probably like the game. But it's not. It's far from a perfect game. Also their DLC is kind of obnoxious, but not as bad as uh not as bad as the crew whose DLC pushing was in your face all the time and really, really painful. So I'll pause for a bit and see if we have any discussion of it.
2: That was a robust review. Well done. <laughs> no, I, I do feel informed. If I if I were gonna buy the game, my choice would be informed now.
1: I agree, and and actually, I think it, it tells me a, a lot more about Daddy Warpig than I realized. I think I, now I have a better understanding of the Madden guys, the guys who you know get this Madden game every <laughs> other year, every year or anything, because because Daddy Warpig likes that style of game, and and they just wait a few years and come out with a new version of that game, even if a lot of it is samey, and even if the missions sort of run together. Dagnabbit. Daddy Warpig wants to sit down and, and run around and do these driving and shooting missions and, and explore this open world. Give him that, and he'll buy it.
0: Yes, that is the truth.
1: If you're loud. So, so now all the like 1600 Assassin's Creeds and the Calls of Duty and all the Maddens, they all make sense now. There's, there's a niche for everybody.
0: Yeah, and why that's why. actually the great thing about this age of gaming is there are lots of different games and if you have a particular niche, you can probably find a game that suits you. Unless you like space flight combat simulators, there's nothing, nothing, nothing out there for you. Nobody loves you. Wing Commander went away and it's never coming back.
1: Uh, All kinds of flight simulators. Does anybody make a flight simulator anymore?
0: Uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator, but there's no space combat flight simulators like Wing Commander. I think you get a couple levels of them. Like Infinite Warfare had uh, missions that let you do that, and those were fun missions. And uh, Halo uh, was it Halo Reach had three missions like that or two missions like that. But as far as like an entire game like Wing Commander or X-Wing or TIE Fighter, there really aren't that any games up there. That lets you do that. Um, elite Dangerous is kind of that, but that's elite. It's not a. It's not a Tie Fighter, or an X-Wing, or a Wing Commander. So, all right. If we don't have any other questions, I'll kick it to Traveler. Travelers.
1: What is a Travelers?
0: Travelers is a Netflix TV series. It's a time travel TV series. Ten episodes right now in the first season. It's about a number of people. There's six main characters who come from a far distant future in which the world has been very nearly destroyed. People are living in domes. They have very limited food. Uh, All of the animal life has died out. We never see this future. We only hear it spoken of between characters. And they have been, their minds have been projected backwards in time into bodies of people who were about to die. And so their minds arrive in the bodies. They call them hosts of people who are about to die and take them over and then conduct missions for the director in an effort to stave off this future disaster in an effort to change the future and stave off this future disaster and hopefully save the world so that's the setup and it's a great setup and it's an interesting setup marred by the fact and I'm going to get maybe into probably into a little bit of spoilers here, marred by the fact that as the series goes on, it's absolutely clear that people who made the show don't know what they're doing with it. It's just, it's got that vague problem of they do this with vague ideas and they do that with vague ideas. It is not a tightly plotted show. Uh, and I spoke last week of the Netflix series of man, or the excuse me, the Amazon Prime series, "Man in the High Castle." The second season of that was was uh, precisely plotted to where everything that went on in that entire season fit together in the very last episode to make sense. You could see why each of the little pieces came together. This show does the exact opposite of that. Nothing makes sense. Nothing that happens gives you any sense or belief that the writers know what the future is like, that the writers know what they're doing, what the missions are in the present, that the writers know anything. They're just kind of running with the premise and trying to do cool things with that. They have no plotting uh, from over the whole season at all. Whatever happens within an individual episode along the season wide, it has no plotting. Also, the show was good up until episode 6, and episode 6 just shot downhill so far it destroyed the rest of the season and made it kind of painful to watch because the very climax of episode 6 revolves around... What people are and are not allowed to do, they have this code of six commandments. We don't know what all of them are, but one of them is leave the future in the past, which is when you come back in time, you don't talk about who you were or what you did in the future. You forget the future. You focus on the present. One of the other rules is don't kill anybody and don't save anybody. Don't kill anybody from the present. Don't save anybody from the present because you can create uh, changes in the timeline that are un- predictable, and the Six Commandments are very specific, and how they play out should have a big impact on the end of this uh, episode, but they don't. This episode just goes really wonky. It goes completely off the rails, and nothing that happens in this episode makes any sense at all, and that kind of just sabotages the rest of the series because that's when you realize the people writing the show don't know what they're doing. They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea, maybe even of the mechanics of their own time travel. And you can tell because the very first time they start talking about actual Uh, the actual consequences of time travel. Well, why can't you do this? Why can't you do that? Why can't you go further back in time? If you make a mistake to correct it, the very first time they start talking about that stuff is in the next episode. It's like they got up to episode six, wrote this, you know, really, really, um, disastrously bad episode. And then suddenly realized, wait, we have to figure out the mechanics of time travel now. And, it was at least one episode too late. I would argue six episodes too late. They should have done that first. Because unlike a role-playing game, a TV show like this at least needs to have the rules figured out from the start. It needs to have the setting figured out from the start so that uh, you know what's going on and you can kind of focus on that. Um, A lot of people seem to like it. I watched the whole thing. Uh, There are a lot of interesting and entertaining things that go on, but it, on the whole, um, it's only a mediocre series. It's not great. Uh, Netflix, it's three out of five stars. I actually rated it two out of five stars, but for the purposes of this review, I I would give it three out of five.
2: Ouch. And I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction right now that the ending of the whole series is going to be weak.
0: The ending of this season was definitely weak and nonsensical.
2: That's what you get when you know, fly by the seat of your pants, folks. Friends don't let friends discovery write.
1: Um. Did you wait? Friends don't let friends what?
2: Discovery right.
1: Oh, they've got a name for it. I like it.
2: They have multiple names for it. Uh, gardening, as opposed to being an architect. Um, so you can be a gardener and architect, or a uh, pantsing, you know, flying by the seat of your pants versus outlining. Yeah, it sounds like these guys really needed an outline and just. I'll just skip that. We'll figure it out as we go along. That's how you get weekendings.
1: See, I'm not much of a writer, but when I do write, I prefer to write with no pants. And so I don't have any of that problem.
2: (laughs) That's the third school of writing. I I, uh, do believe that's James Patterson's approach. I don't know. Could be wrong. More power to you.
0: All right. Um, Well, we are definitely... Actually, we're not as much past time as we've been for the past couple of episodes. We're definitely, you know, past the time limit. So do we have any final thoughts or questions or comments? Ryan?
2: Just a reminder to check out the Forbidden Thoughts launch party on the 20th, on our Inauguration Day. If people are on YouTube, they'll probably be watching the festivities live. But after that, come and check us out. We'll be going all day. And also, check out uh, my books, Secret Kings, Soul Cycle, Book 3. I've got a solid, all five-star reviews on Amazon right now. People really seem to like it. And of course, check out Forbidden Thoughts with uh, stories by yours truly, John C. Wright, Vox Day, and uh, forward by Miley and nonfiction content by Larry Correa, former guest on the show.
0: Um... Any uh, any thoughts or comments, John?
1: Oh, that was a great good show, guys! Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks, everybody.
0: All right, we are. Uh, this has been Geek Gab for uh, Sunday, January fifteenth, two thousand and seventeen, episode eighty-two. And uh, you can get us every time we do a show live and jump in the chat on YouTube dot com slash geek gab that is youtube.com slash geek gab or we tweet out the link uh send it out on facebook and and gab uh if you want to subscribe to either me or brian uh or all we have our uh we have our twitter handles our twitter links you can uh subscribe to us in the description of the video also if you want, you can subscribe to the podcast version of this that gets sent out on SoundCloud, iTunes, and the Google Play app. Just do a search for Geek Gab and all three of those places, and you can listen to us on your favorite devices or in web browsers if you uh, don't have the time to uh, come in and listen to us live. Uh, we appreciate everyone who's tuned in today and everyone who's tuned into all of our shows. Go ahead, give us a listen. and. Um, I would suggest, you know, liking us and subscribing and stuff, but apparently subscribing to the show uh, doesn't give you timely announcements of when we're doing our next show, which is kind of disappointing to me. But uh, subscribing anyway, just because, hey, it's cool for all of us. Thanks for tuning in, folks. We are signing off for today, but don't worry, we will be back.